We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of Sox Machine Live. I don't think it's going to be that special, but we are streaming very late on Thursday, August 25th, 2022. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis. Streaming live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash machine because the Chicago White Sox, in the infamous words of Hawk Harrelson, find another way, Jim, as uh, it looked mm-hmm. like they were going to have a big series win against the Baltimore Orioles, winning game three. It was down to their final out, and Adam Engel literally drops the ball. Liam Hendricks gives up a game-tying home run to a rookie off of an 0-2 pitch, and the White Sox lose in the 11th inning, and they now drop back to one game above 500, and they are still four games back of the Cleveland Guardians. So let's start, and there's a lot of White Sox fans that are watching the stream live, and for our podcast listeners, sorry that we didn't give you uh, plenty of heads up. We decided to do this uh, live stream at the last minute. So you're listening to this episode in the morning when you wake up at a reasonable time. Jim, what the hell happened in game three against Baltimore in the ninth inning? It was impressive. Like impressive, uh, impressive. <laughs> um, just, you know, the, the sequence in that, you know, Adam Engel enters as a defensive replacement. There was a game, it reminded me back on, I think it was, was the 4th of July, where he entered as a pinch runner and made two outs in the base paths, like in the same game, like he entered as a pinch runner. So he has a tendency to uh, fail at the one job he's been asked to do. And this time it was contained to one inning. It was like, just don't screw up. And sure enough, pop up down the line, should have been the last out. Um, just overran it. Uh, the way he had to reach back for it, it looked like it blocked his vision. And so he reached for it blindly ball popped in and out of his glove and then failure after failure set in after that, like Liam Hendricks shouldn't be let off the hook. Like he pitched, uh, Kyle Stowers back into the count because like he was blowing fastballs by him. So Basically, like he had two choices. One was to keep throwing fastballs, like high fastballs, make him show that he can catch up to it because he's a rookie hitting 160 something, I think, at the time. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this was his first moment of note. Um, also, the, you know, maybe the ability to bury a breaking ball, like even if it's like a waste pitch, just to make him think about something besides a high fastball so he can't cheat on it. Instead, he chooses door number three and hangs a breaking ball and uh, goes out. So that's <laughs> just new game. Uh, Brandon Hyde has uh, his closer throwing 102 with splitters. Uh, they're not able to move the Manfred man either inning. Luis Roberts' hand is falling off when he's trying to swing the bat. <laughs> just mm-hmm. it's 
from that point on, it was just they lost their chance. And the game, I think, could have gone on 19 innings and they would not have scored just based on the combination of players left and, you know, and I hate talking about this when it comes to um, a, a team like this because there's so much tangible uh to to dissect and to criticize like you don't have to necessarily go into the ethereal to discuss how bad this team is but the the mojo the vibes whatever you call it are just terrible the vibes are bad jim (laughs) the vibes are bad uh lance lynn spoke to the press after the game and if you want to see someone that is visibly upset or pissed off uh, watch that Lance Lynn post-game conference that he had with reporters. Typically, he's pretty short with his answers, and he's very monotone. This was on another level uh, yeah. after tonight's loss. And I get what you're saying, Jim, about Liam Hendricks and facing a rookie, and he could have pitched better in that situation. And Liam Hendricks is getting a lot of flack on social media. I'm sorry. The game was over. Mm-hmm. There is no purpose for Adam Engel to be on this roster. If he cannot catch a fly ball, he was more concerned in getting hurt, which I get it. He's, he wears a white Sox uniform. He'll pull a hamstring. If he farts on the field right now with how this team is operating, like I get it. He was worried about colliding into the net, but that's his only job on this team is to catch fly balls because his manager does not trust him anymore to swing the bat, which is why he doesn't get starts. The mm-hmm. game was over. The game was oh, sure. over. Yeah. No, and Adam Engel, instead of going back to Chicago, should be on a flight to Charlotte. And the White yeah, Sox right. should call someone up <laughs> right now. Re- replaced by Adam Hazley, whose last moment of note was taking out Danny Mendick on a similar <laughs> yes, play. I mean, this is, you know, this that's is right. what the, that is right. Yeah. This is what the White Sox choices are. Like every choice they have is terrible because they've just been whittled down to uh, the, the incumbents are injured and the replacements are worse. Otherwise the replacements would still be there. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's like the, you know, three stars in hockey, which I think baseball should adopt. Like, you know, like this is like the three goats and, and, you know, angles one Hendricks is two. And I just want to make sure like, you know, Hendricks, he gets paid for, you know, making up for mistakes, uh, for other, you know, you know, players making them. So, but once, you know, Hendricks caved, then yeah, it was just it, it felt over, and it's funny watching Lance Lynn because you know there's a uh, it's kind of like a journalist trick, but it's just like when somebody gives you a short answer, like journalists, you know, you're you're trained to not respond right away because the silence makes a lot of people feel awkward, so they'll keep talking uh, in order to fill in silence if you give them some room. And Lance Lynn seems like he's been trained in the opposite uh, field. <laughs> Just like saying, like, once you're done with an answer, you're done. And you can just stare in the middle, off in the middle distance for the next 45 minutes, and you're still not going to offer another word. And so I, I find that really, um, you know, as much as his answers sometimes fail to satisfy, especially when he's talking around injury, that can be frustrating. Like when he's not pitching well, and you just want to know what the hell's going on. and He doesn't give that to you. Right. Um, you know, that's annoying and sometimes feels a little bit too cute for the stakes at various times, but in a case like this, where he pitched well, he did his job. Um, he had to pitch around a couple of mistakes in the field himself. Um, you know, he did everything asked of him. Reynaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert, 17 Jimmy strikes Lambert. over 20 pitches. Yeah. Uh, they threw a tw- big. Yeah. They threw 20 pitches between them, 17 strikes. So like the pitching, through eight and two thirds innings did the job. And then one guy who had one job to do for over the course of three outs, uh, failed rather spectacularly. So yeah, it's rough. It just reminds me. And I know you remember this play when the white Sox played the Mets all those years ago and Gordon Beckham is trying to catch that infield pot fly and he trips over I, the mound. I don't remember that. Uh, I don't <laughs> Come remember, on. I don't remember his face and Connor Gillespie's butt, like Getty Images <laughs> capturing that. Uh, it was like the butt fumble uh, equivalent, except, uh, yeah, not, not quite. It didn't have the same, uh, you know, Beckham did not drop the ball because it ran into Connor Gillespie's butt, but the same same amount of shame and, and indelible uh, imprint on both uh, my memory and Gillespie's butt. Uh, what didn't someone make a gif where Beckham was holding the Stanley Cup and yeah. he trips over? Yeah, that was Billy. Yeah, that was Billy. Billy, okay. Yeah. Yep. 
Oh man, what a moment. And uh yeah, I just I, I don't even know how Adam Engel moves forward from this drop ball situation because listen, he's in his 30s now. You're only a fourth outfielder because you can't hit consistently. And the team is in a postseason race. Whether if you want to send me the Jim Mora playoffs gif and video all the time like i get it but the white Sox are still within shouting distance uh, of reaching the postseason with cleveland losing today in seattle and cleveland's got a tough series this weekend in seattle if you hold on and you beat the orioles and you come home and you have this nine game homestand theoretically this is your sprint going into september where maybe you can make up ground and you can make this a two-team race because the Minnesota Twins are fading, and they are fading very fast. But instead, you're still tied with the Minnesota Twins. Both teams are four games back. And if Cleveland has a strong weekend in Seattle, much like they had not that long ago against Toronto, suddenly this very tight, close race in the American League Central, Cleveland could have breathing room. And no offense to the White Sox and Twins, but... Terry Francona knows how to push his team across the finish line. And mm-hmm. I would have a lot more confidence in Cleveland getting the job done and not watching them stumble and triple trip over themselves or drop out number 27 to clinch a game. Uh, than watching the white Sox or even the Minnesota twins right now. So it, this really does look to me like a great opportunity here for Cleveland, even though they lost to run away with the American league central after this series in Baltimore for the White Sox. Like, this is a really big missed opportunity for the White Sox. It is. Um, like, the only thing I think that softens it for me is that, like, the way they're winning, the way they took the lead, the way they the way they lost on Tuesday, the way the game followed a similar track uh, where, you know, first inning homer and then, uh, you know, bottom the first uh, homer that immediately negates it. <laughs> They're trailing like the uh, you know anything positive disappears quickly, and then it's innings and innings before they can score again. And it requires so much from the pitching. I would say even just pitching. Like you normally say, like the run prevention unit, because you know it requires you know, you know great defense. And like outside of Yohan Mankata, nobody's playing great defense, and even Mankata got hurt. So that's uh, you know just what we've come down to. Just you know we're talking about Mankata getting hurt. We're talking about replacing Angle with a guy who hurts other people. Like it just this is where we're at. Um, but yeah, just you know the entire game felt like you know they might win it. But it's not in a way that makes you feel better about them winning any other game, regardless of the strength of the schedule. Just, you know, singles and, uh, you know, especially with Luis Robert looking very tenuous at bat to at bat. Like, you know, I saw the quote about Tony LaRusso saying that, you know, that, you know, when he gets a hold of one, he you know, still hits it hard. And I've been surprised, like, you know, I kind of understand where he's coming from. A lot of things, you know, LaRusso says I don't get. But in this case, like, I was, like, surprised that he was able to maintain his hitting streak. It was 14 games entering the game. So, like, I get the impulse. The bench is in bad shape. So, like, there's no clear upgrades. Uh, So, it's ugly. And, like, it's so ugly that, you know, you're wearing the uh, pitching ninja cap. And, like, you know it's bad when the pitching ninja shows remorse for uh, making fun of a hitter looking overmatched in the batter's box. Like, you know, oh, he's hurt. Why is he hurting? I'm so sorry. He's a gamer. Like you never see the pitching ninja do that. He's he's all for clowning uh, hitters who look goofy up there. And when you like get to his, uh, when you make him feel sorrow and remorse, you know it's a sad product. La Russa, when asked about Luis Robert, Tony La Russa said, "Quote: I have to be concerned about him getting hurt, having a swing like that. Maybe have to rethink that." I didn't replace him because he had a 170 mile per hour double play ball and a 370 foot fly ball to center field. Because when you see him for three days, when he gets one of the nose, he still belts it. When Luis, Luis Robert after the game was asked about his wrist quote, it hurts a lot. <laughs> Every time I have a bad swing, I have to deal with it. And someone followed up. Have you considered taking yourself out of the game? Robert said, no. So Robert is trying to pull a Jose Abreu and play through this wrist injury. 
And this isn't like having a limp or your bicep is sore because people are still pitching inside on you and you got hit by a, a few pitches. No, this is a wrist injury. And shockingly, Jim, you need mm-hmm. both hands to be able to swing a bat in the major leagues. And you definitely need both of them to make contact against a hundred mile per hour fastball. He didn't, ha- he didn't stand a chance. And, and this yeah. is this. We just dealt with this. We dealt with this with Lurie Garcia. You could clearly tell something is bugging him with every swing he was taking with that knee. They don't do anything about it. They push him and push him until he lands on the injured list. And it sounds like he may be heading to Charlotte for a quick rehab assignment before he rejoins the White Sox during this homestand. So Lurie Garcia will be back with the team soon. Yay. But, you know, I get it that you're in a division race and Luis Roberts trying to do everything that he can. But if he physically cannot swing the bat without pain, how does that benefit the White Sox? And honestly, how does that benefit Luis Robert in the long term? I I just Mm -hmm. this franchise has been so weird with the way that they are handling injuries that the whole situation with Luis Robert, you could tell he's hurt. Why are you continuing to put him in this position? Yeah, it's, you know, it feels like he's, you know, him and Garcia, they're toughing it out and they're toughing it out because like, I don't think this is like factoring into their decision making. Maybe it is, but I'm not saying it is, but it feels like it's almost like they're looking like, well, you know, so many guys are leaving early, uh, you know, departing games early, coming out with a limp, you know, coming like this, like we can't, you know, like I can't afford to do this. Like, you know, just. They, they feel like they need to take it on because like Yohan Makata like leaves, you know, kind of tweaks an ankle or hamstring, like charging and making like a basic, like an impressive play, but you know, kind of like the basic physical motions of like a third baseman charging a bunt. Like it was a great effort, made it look smooth, but like he pulls up lame after that. And, and then eventually leaves the game, even though he made like a running catch in shallow left field, like later on the game, like mm-hmm. he left, you know, same thing like, uh, you know, Larry Garcia was taking all those awful swings and like, you know, before that, or like in the middle of all that, like Loy Jimenez takes one bad swing, stumbles a little bit and then removes himself from the game immediately. And so like, you have these situations where it feels like, uh, and Steve stone, I think has been critical of this, like players not wanting to play through pain. Like Chuck Garfine uh, went off on Aloy Jimenez after the game saying like, you know, that he needs to stay in the box. And so like you have a case where on one hand, these injuries look minor or they happen for no real reason or no apparent stress and they have to leave the game. And so that sucks and that's unsatisfying. But then you have a, the opposite situation where guys are playing obviously hurts and they feel like some duty to the team and they need an adult basically to tell them to stay down and they're not getting that either. So um, there's no cohesive management strategy or just like whatever management strategy they had has been overtaxed and, you know, kind of like the, uh, you know, the Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, but like they've mm-hmm. just been punched in the face repeatedly. So they just, they might, you know, just have a collective concussion with how they've been handling this and just don't know where they are and, and how much season is left and, and, and who's who? Well, it's a question that you've been asked a lot in your columns on SoxMachine.com. Who's actually in charge here? Who is in charge of this Chicago White Sox team? And who is the adult in the room to make the final say about the roster? And who is going on the injured list and who is not going on the injured list? and who could be possibly called up from the 40-man roster that they're finally starting to address some of the fat and actually adding useful players to the 40-man roster. But typically that's only done when it's desperation and you realize, oh my God, we only had two catchers of the 40-man roster and one needs to go on the injured list. We should add another catcher to the 40-man roster. I'm sorry, I just have to pick up the eyes from my head as they roll out. It's just, this is why it's so aggravating. And, you know, instead of watching this team make a last desperate run towards the postseason, I feel like, Jim, I am watching a plane on fire in the air 
try to do an emergency landing at Midway because they fly over my house in the south side of Chicago to land at Midway. The mm-hmm. engine is on fire. I have no idea if this landing is going to be successful or not, but it is going down in flames. Maybe they will survive. Maybe they will just crash land and fall short of the airport. But that is the best analogy I have for the 2022 Chicago White Sox right now as we enter in this nine-game homestand and in late August. I am watching a plane that's on flames right now, and it is descending. And I don't know how it's going to land. I would say it's kind of like that, except no matter what happens, even if it lands safely, like the pilots should be arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Air marshals come in and just, yeah, just lead them off in cuffs. Congratulations. You survived. Now you go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So breaking down this series even more, if you guys haven't stopped listening, uh, quite yet or just started screaming while you're in the car driving to work along with us. Uh, the White Sox offense, they love singles, Jim. Hot they, local singles. Hot local singles. They love themselves some singles. The good news is in three games, the White Sox had 34 hits, and they were pretty consistent having at least 11 hits in each of the games. 28 singles out of 34 base hits. Uh, is this the offense the rest of the season? Is this just something we're going to have to deal with in, in the final month that the home runs are, are never coming? I think so. Just because it's whack-a-mole when it comes to the offense, like Andrew Vaughn hitting the ball with more power, hitting the ball with more authority, but somebody else goes down. So like, basically like Andrew Vaughn doesn't join guys hitting homers Andrew Vaughn replaces somebody who looked like he might be hitting homers and then something happened to him so that's kind of how this works there's like one guy who's allowed to hit for power I want like you know Jimenez briefly got on a tear like Robert was briefly getting a hold of one you know Vaughn has moments uh that seems to be how it goes like you know like the home run chain is almost too literal like one guy can wear it and then uh he basically owns it for like two weeks and nobody else is allowed to to homer. That's kind of how it seems to work. Um, yeah, I mean, you have the lack of speed too. So like the you know, hustle doubles are hard to come by. So there's that. Um, great I, I combinations we, here. Yeah. Lacking power, not great at base running, and they're slow. Yeah, so and you know, great great combination here. Yeah, like even if the guy who hits the potential hustle double can maybe get there, the guy in front of him is likely to be holding things up because of lack of speed or base running. Like um, I I think if you're looking for like playback uh, clips to share in anticipation of our next playback game or watch party, like we'll have a few, cause you know, we talked about like Sebi Zavala and Romy Gonzalez screwing up around second base. Well, Gonzalez screwed up around second base. Zavala actually like looked lost. No, actually Zavala didn't screw up the first time, but screwed up the second time because he has to lose his uh, bearings around second base. He had like uh, the Gavin Sheets weak single through to the left side against the lefty, which we knew was going to happen. Like, you know, if he's going to succeed, it's going to be a, a cheap single. And then what? Like, just, you know, you can dial him up for mistakes. You can di- like, you can dial him up for like, this is as little as we can expect. And they're good at delivering on that. So, yeah, I mean, I would feel more confidence about like, better power coming, you know, more impactful contact coming. If just they show the ability to have two guys at the same time, lifting the ball with triple digit exit velocity, but it's not happening. Like there's always something gets in the way. Like Jimenez gets the fastball to the elbow and has to miss game. Like there's always something that gets in the way of having a critical mass of hitters who can actually, do damage right now. It seems like Vaughn is the guy, you know, maybe Gavin sheets. He had a nice series. Like he looks okay, but mm-hmm. like, but I mean, that's the problem too. Is like, you know, Vaughn's hitting lead off. She's hitting second and it's a good idea, but it's also it like that's the offense. And then seven, you have to wait kind of for seven hitters for the next extra base hit to come along. I think they should stick with the yay or nay. Andrew Vaughn lead off hitter. Fine. Like just basically you're, you're it's emergency mode. You, there's no good idea. 
uh, you know, or no great idea, like AJ Pollock, you know, works for game and time. And like, you know, when it comes down to late innings and every game comes down to late innings, to me, it's more a matter of like, who do you want to see up the most? Like, do I want anybody getting in Andrew Vaughn's way, you know, to get that extra at bat? Not really. Like you, he's probably the best bet like Jimenez when he's healthy, you know, assuming he comes back from this, you know, uh, bruise with minimal complications. Like he's up there, basically him, you know, uh, Jimenez Vaughn sheets against a righty, probably it. Abreu has moments, but you know, just, I think it would be those three and Abreu batting fourth and then whatever comes after just, you know, stack them how you want. Yeah. Just have to make sure Vaughn's still in the game though. And he's not replaced by Adam Engel for defensive purposes. Yeah. Because then you go into extra innings and now you don't have Andrew Vaughn. Yeah. No, you got, and, and, you got Adam Engel. Yeah. I saw like some thinking like AJ Pollock should have been left. No, I mean, Engel was fine and left. He just blew the play. And, you know, just a very, you know, this is when it comes to the off season and talking about like non tendering, uh, this is the kind of moment that uh, can determine a contract or a non tender, I think, at this point. It's too much money for a fourth outfielder. You can get those guys for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. I know that Cespedes is kind of—he's about a year away from being what Adam Engel is now. Yeah, give him a shot. Yeah, like half a season. Like get him to Triple A, see how he looks against like um, you know guys who can throw breaking balls reliably for strikes. But he's pretty much like the Adam Engel toolkit. Just needs to see more styles of pitching to really understand like if he can stand a chance against pitchers who can do everything. How do you feel about that left wall at a uh, Camden now? Since it uh it took away three homers this series. It, it the Orioles owe Luis Robert, Sevi Zavala and Andrew Vaughn home runs with pushing that wall back 30 feet. It's it's bad. Um like it seems bad just because like um you know reading Joe Sheehan's newsletter talking about how you know the offense has taken a dive in August when usually like it reaches its crescendo in mm-hmm. August. Like, you know, we talk about August Abreu that hasn't happened, but like so many normal August stories of offenses, you know, ripping it up just are not happening. Like they're just, the ball is not traveling. The, 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 the hits are not coming. And so like, I think it's interesting. Like it's a, it's an interesting strategy. Like it certainly like seems to have benefited the Orioles immensely when it comes to like containing the Yankees and containing like the teams that have major power edges. And so it's like fascinating to see a team go to those lengths, literally and figuratively to try to give their pitching any kind of edge possible, but you know, kind of big picture when it comes to um, the ball not traveling, especially the opposite field and just not having great ways to get runs on the board. It doesn't help like the league wide problem in scoring runs and making games exciting. So I'm, I'm it's individually fascinating, but I think if it came at a time where offense wasn't an issue, like a couple of years ago, 2018, 2019, uh, when the ball was flying and like everybody in the twins hit 30 homers, like, it would have been cool. Like the, it would have been a really neat experiment to see like what happens here when uh, the ball is traveling. And this is the only way like tiger proofing the golf course. It's kind of the, the equivalent. Like we're going to uh, we're going to, you know, rabbit ball proof our stadium and our pitching staff to try to get them wins. Um, that would have been fun. But I think in this current environment, this run scoring environment, it's kind of a drag. Oh, it's a huge drag. I mean, it's yeah. just there's that Twitter account that you kind of introduced me to. Would it dawn? And it would dawn in 29 of the stadiums, but one. And it's Baltimore is the one because they pushed their fence 30, 30 feet back, hitting a fly ball to left field 400 plus feet, and it doesn't go out is not a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Can, can Major League Baseball step in and say this is ridiculous? Move your fence in fifteen feet. I don't think so. I mean, I think um, I'm thinking back to like Comerica Park when that first came out, and uh, Juan Gonzalez signed that big contract, and I think they they change it by bringing the bullpens in left field to shorten the left field power alley. Mm-hmm. But 
he signed that big contract and then just realized like, oh, this is not Globe Life or what was it, Ballpark at Arlington, like uh, <laughs> in the summer. This is Detroit in April and the left field power alley is like 390 feet away. I'm not hitting 40 homers here. This sucks. And like just the entire, <laughs> their entire plan caved in and the you know, free agent hitters did not want to go there. So I think, uh, and I think rightly, um, you know, the league lets the market decide when it comes to team. Like I'm thinking like the 435 foot center field in Houston, which has got shortened down to 400. Cause after a certain amount of years with Talos Hill, they realized this is kind of stupid and they changed yeah. the park. And I think, you know, they'll, Right now it works, and I think it works as a patch, but you know the Orioles might get good, and they might feel like they're getting robbed, and they might not need that crutch anymore. They might want the extra seats in left field closer to the action, so they might fill it in. They might you know, maybe make a correction and find a middle ground because you know Oriole Park was the second home run friendliest park to Coors Field, so there was some room to push the wall back and left and feel okay about it, maybe raise the wall, push it back 10 feet, raise it, four or five feet, um, but pushing it back 30 feet and then raising the wall, what, eight feet? Um, yeah, that that seems extreme and seems like they can find some middle ground. And, and once they start getting good enough to where they want to compete with homers and realize that they're getting hurt by it. I don't know if it would radically change the series. Well, maybe. Maybe the White Sox would still be up, I guess, if Andrew Vaughn's fly ball actually cleared the fence thinking about it. So yeah, it did have an impact on the series between the White Sox and Orioles, but yeah, the, the Orioles will owe a home run to Luis Roberts, somebody's a and Andrew Vaughn. Some people would say it's just one home run. Have you seen this White Sox team this year? It means a lot. I don't know if anyone's going to hit 20 homers this mm-hmm. season. They need every home run that they can get. So someone can clear 20 homers hit. In 2022, which is just downright embarrassing. I like uh, this comment from uh, Stephen real quick. Like he said that it's worse than the 2019 Jim Boylan Bulls. Uh-oh. And it is like it, in terms of like they're better in terms of a product than those Bulls. But I really liked reading and, and following the Boylan Bulls because he was such he was so enthusiastically awful. Like <laughs> He did not know how, like, how he came across. Like, he he had, like, you know, it was kind of a similar situation in which, like, he had the favor of the higher-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, Jerry Ryan, or, uh, uh, Tony La Russa has the favor of Jerry Reinsdorf. And so everybody's held hostage by that. But Boylan was so stupid like just <laughs> come just everything he said like it, he could have made himself look worse if he thought about it and plotted him out like it was just his instinct everybody saw the way his instincts were leading him to say dumb things and have stupid practice sessions and have the team basically having a mutiny on him like Larusa is so i think passive and so quiet and old um yeah and, and taking a back seat to everything that nobody can get mad at him you know, like we talked about before, just I think they're just biding their time until something changes and, and nobody's inspiring them to do more because everybody's too hurt to want to do more. <laughs> I think like the guys who can play hard are playing hard. The guys who feel like they might, you know, run themselves out of the season are doing the bare minimum, it seems. And that's kind of a bad combination when the product is bad on the whole. Well, the White Sox are 63 and 62. They're four games back in Cleveland for first place. Again, the Guardians are in Seattle this weekend, while the White Sox are now home to face the Arizona Diamondbacks to kick off a nine-game homestand. Maybe on Monday we're in a better mood, folks. And we're, you know, the White Sox sweep the Diamondbacks. We'll preview that series in a moment. I'm doubtful that will happen. And maybe the White Sox get themselves back within striking distance, or maybe even ties Cleveland for first place of the American league central, but this is a team that still is shooting themselves in the foot. And we are in late August. And the questions that we've been having about this team since late April are still hanging around here. And it's, yeah, it's just aggravating and they are running out of time. The white Sox are running out of time.
You are probably drinking coffee while listening to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. And if you do love coffee, I highly encourage you to visit drinktrade.com slash Machine. Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses who pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest coffee beans from around the world. Whether your friends call you a coffee snob or if you're like me, you're just getting into coffee, Trade's real coffee experts personally taste test over 450 roasts so they know exactly what to recommend to you. All you have to do is just take the coffee quiz, which is fun. You answer a couple of questions and you'll get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. No gimmicks. Trade delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew it at home, depending on the equipment that you have. And they guarantee that you'll love your first order or they'll replace it for free. Trade has delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. So right now, while you're drinking your coffee, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash machine. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Again, get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash machine and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash machine for $30 off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Speaking of time, something that gives fans some hope, especially if your team's not going to make the postseason, if you are one to plan as far as your summer's around baseball and maybe visit cities around the country. The 2023 major league baseball schedule was released. And this is a different looking schedule as it's a balanced schedule and every team will face each other moving forward. Fewer divisional games that really impacts the white Sox because they're in the American league central. They probably want more divisional games uh, to a point, especially against Detroit. Uh, but they'll be losing some divisional games in exchange, getting to play every single team in Major League Baseball. Jim, when you saw the schedule release for the White Sox, anything that caught your attention immediately as far as possible destinations or how the schedule was set up? Well, seeing every team on the schedule was weird, and I resisted the idea of it for a long time because well part of it is i'm not necessarily traditionalist but i do appreciate the ways that baseball has developed historically in a way that would never happen if baseball started anew like having the dh in one league and not another i love that because it was just it was weird how it happened and so like it's never going to happen again you're not going to see two uh you know at least among major sports you're not going to see two uh, leagues in the same sports, the same organization playing by a rule that changes everything. Uh, so like, I appreciated that. And I liked it for as long as it lasted. I prefer, you know, just as the product goes, like I prefer having the DH all over the place. It makes more sense for roster building, free agents, everything like that. And trades makes a lot more things possible. So it's a better product now with universal DH, but I like that it was weird. And so I like that it was weird that like you didn't sometimes see teams. I, I liked when the national league was completely off limits and interleague play was, you know, like when it was introduced, like 
I kind of like that. You could follow, you know, 14 teams, 12 teams, like over the course of the you know, development of the American league, just, it was kind of neat that you didn't have to care about like the entire league until the world series of the all-star game. I thought that was, you know, uh, something that made baseball special. Um, but now having seen the schedule come out and seeing like all the teams there, it's kind of cool. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm four hours away from Atlanta. I'm four hours away from Cincinnati. Like I can drive there for, you know, a series and like, so I probably will, you know, it, you know, if, if, if the schedule allows and if, you know, I can do it personally, like, yeah, sure. That's kind of neat across two ballparks off the list. Um, you know, and then when it comes to like the you know home and road, like if it doesn't work out one year, you can count it being the next year. So, you know, that is kind of neat. And I think, the other benefit, I think I saw it in Craig Calcaterra's newsletter talking about like how when he's recapping games, it feels like they're like there. He knows there are only 19 Pirates Reds games, but it feels like there are like 50 just because they're two bad teams meeting pointlessly over and over again when they could be playing a team with actual stakes. And so I think that'll be kind of a fascinating development is with fewer games. Uh, between like, you know, the Royals and Tigers or the uh A's and angels or, you know, the, you know, the, the NL central teams, what have you, like more games will matter, you know, over the course of like the last two months, there'll be fewer games that just can be punted or ignored. And so I think that'll be something that's worth uh, monitoring to see if it makes the stretch run feel any different. If you can, if we're allowed to feel things by this time next <laughs> year, we just might not, you know, it might be all about like, where do we want to go to watch a game? And Who's on the other team that might be more compelling uh, based on uh, what the White Sox are doing to us right now? Well, I do have an announcement. So looking at the 2023 schedule, the road trips have been huge successes. 2021, we all tailgated Milwaukee. That was a lot of fun. In 2022, we all met up in Minneapolis. That was too much fun for me, uh, especially Friday nights. And we all met up <laughs> before the game and, Many of us are going to meet up in San Diego for the last road series of the 2022 season to check out the White Sox in San Diego. So I'm announcing now, along with our buddies from the 108, that the 2023 road trip, so for all those that can plan now, is going to be in Cincinnati for that White Sox Red Series May 5th through the 7th. Uh, so again, May 5th through the 7th will be the road trip. So let's meet early. So we still have hope for the Chicago White Sox in 2023. Uh, but yes, if you're looking at the schedule and planning your vacations and road trips, start making plans to meet us up at Cincinnati for that weekend between the White Sox and the Reds, May 5th through the 7th. I'm excited. I've never been to Cincinnati and that's another ballpark that I can cross off the list and it's still early in the season where you still have some good hope that the, the White Sox could accomplish something. And uh, the Reds are not going to be very good, but there's still some intriguing players to watch like Hunter Green. I, I think he's got some promise. And it sounds like the, the area around Great American Ballpark is really changing for Cincinnati. They have open carry now on game day. So it's kind of got a Bourbon Street, Beale Street type of Oh, feel that kind of open it. carry. Was that? That kind of open carry. That kind of open carry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Whatever. Yeah. I know. I know. It's pretty close to Kentucky. I I, I see where you're going with that. Uh, but no, it, it should be a really fun time. A lot of people have been pitching that idea that we should go to Cincinnati. So we are going to Cincinnati. So and, and yeah, the schedule really opens up more possibilities for road trips uh, going forward. I know. I know. We keep waiting for Kansas City to have a weekend, but. It'll be nice to have like, you know, early May, you know, not dying of sunburn or, uh, you know, heat exhaustion, overexposure to the elements, like should be pretty good weather. Like, you know, at least the, you know, the historical climate should be in our favor, whether we catch a break is one thing, you know, that's a whole different matter, but at least uh, it's not, you know, middle of a parking lot in Milwaukee in July <laughs> or, you know, this is toasty. Yeah. So. Should be nice. <laughs> we did it's not also have not Pittsburgh in April. Yeah, that was the other option too. It was Pittsburgh in April over Easter weekend. Mm. That 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 would have been tough. That would have been tough. But look forward to see everyone in Cincinnati. We'll have more details as the months come up. But highlight that weekend. Put it in the Google Calendar. Make your plans to meet us up 
in Cincinnati in early May of 2023. All right, the Chicago White Sox, their next series, we'll talk about this, the Arizona Diamondbacks come to the South Side. The Diamondbacks this year, 56 and 67, they're 30 games back of the Los Angeles Dodgers in the National League West, and they're 10 and a half games back of the wild card, so they're just kind of playing out the, the schedule. In the last 10 games, the Diamondbacks are 4 and 6. What is interesting is the pitching probables for this weekend. Friday night, 7, 10 p.m. Central Time. This is Elvis night, so the Elvises are going to be dropping in, uh, skydiving into the stadium. There's going to be the fireworks show afterwards. Sounds like you're going to have an Elvis impersonator sing some songs as well. It's a very long night for those that do love, enjoy uh, Elvis's music and, and listening to other people sing his songs. It's going to be Johnny Cueto against left-hander Tommy Henry for the Diamondbacks. If you remember Michigan's run to the College World Series just a few years ago, Tommy Henry was a big part of that. So he'll be making the start for the Diamondbacks on Saturday night, 6.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is go- it, Right now it's TBA, but this should be the dart. Davis Martin filling in for Michael Kopech against Merrill Kelly. And Merrill Kelly's been pitching really well for Arizona as of late. In his last seven starts, he has a 1.76 ERA. And then on Sunday, it's Dylan Cease against Zach Davies. Zach Davies is terrible. If the White Sox do not score and hit at least a couple home runs against Zach Davies, I'm really going to be upset. And what's interesting about this series is that the Diamondbacks, when they're pitching at home, Jim, Mm-hmm. A different team. They have a team ERA of 3.88. That's really good. When they're on the road, they have a team ERA of 4.52. And when I'm seeing the numbers from Henry and Kelly, and even to his standards, Zach Davies is having a, a pretty good season in 2022. This may be just be more of the same for the White Sox offense and their inability to hit for power, especially at home being very mm-hmm. frustrating where, yeah, I could totally see Tommy Henry and Merrill Kelly and oh, God forbid if Zach Davies shuts down the White Sox offense, I'm not going to be in a good mood. We might be watching more low scoring games like we just went through in Baltimore this weekend. Yeah. I'm looking that up. Cause I was curious watching the, uh, you know, you're looking at the starting uh, numbers for the probable starters and seem like, you know, the, you know, Kelly's got a decent ERA. Henry's, you know, off to a decent start in his, uh, you know, career. Davies is su- surprising for Zach Davies. Like the ERAs look okay. The strikeout rates look okay. So like, I was surprised to see like their aggregate numbers on the whole are like bottom half of the league. Like, yeah, I thought maybe they're pitching well, but not hitting at all. And in a case like they're mediocre pitching and even worse hitting, it seems like that's kind of the story. But yeah, when you look at their home road splits um, yeah, I mean the home run rates outside of Arizona uh, 74 homers to 55. Uh, sorry. They've allowed 74 homers on the road, only 55 at home. And uh, we're talking about a difference of 300 plate appearances. So they're, they've hit, uh, or sorry, they've allowed 19 more homers and 300 fewer plate appearances. So that's the way to get them, you know, like you said. And it's just, uh, you know, we keep saying this. We keep, uh, it doesn't feel like false hope anymore because we keep saying it. It's just more a matter of like, it's been the story and it'll continue being the story is that they have to hit homers in their home park which is designed to allow homers and not much else. Well, the opponents have had no problem hitting home runs at guaranteed rate field. So watch the Diamondbacks not have any problems hitting homers this weekend. The player to watch out for with Arizona's Christian Walker, their first baseman. He has 30 home runs this season, and there's a lot of people that think that he could win the gold glove at first base this year. He is having an August Abreu type of month in which he has seven home runs in the month of August with 20 RBIs and an OPS over a thousand, which is really impressive. So Christian Walker, that's the guy. If the game is tied or on the line, you do not want to see batting right now for the Arizona Diamondbacks against the White Sox pitchers, because he is having a really big month of August for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Anything else? Uh, I was wondering if this is going to be the Alec Thomas revenge series uh, because he is the son of uh, Alan Thomas, the former 
strength and conditioning coach for the White Sox who was uh, let go before the season. And, you know, it's kind of the case where, uh, um, you know, if the White Sox were healthier, you could say like, oh, you know, they made the right call moving on. But, you know, watching them uh, just losing you know, this war of attrition over the course of the year and having basically either guys, you know, playing through injuries or leaving because of injuries. Um, yeah, it certainly, uh, you know, lends some idea like, well, you know, maybe Thomas wasn't great, but there's certainly more work ahead of them to solve their whole strength and conditioning thing. So I remember when Thomas was drafted and I'm looking it up, uh, second round. So like mm -hmm. he was too high to go in the first round where the white Sox were picking what it felt like white Sox nepotism. But then when he went in the second round, I remember people saying like, Oh, that might come back. That might be the nepotism pick we actually wanted. And so far he's, you know, he's holding his own, I think. Um, well, the, the, the concern with Alec Thomas coming to the draft day was that he had a commitment to TCU and it was a two sport commitment there. There was some interest in him playing football for TCU. So a big 12 school getting that type of opportunity, but obviously we know how the story goes. He gets drafted early in the second round by the Arizona diamondbacks gets a few million dollars as a signing bonus. And now he's in the major leagues and he went to school at Mount Carmel, just down the road from guaranteed rate field. So it is a homecoming and, and watch him ball out this weekend, which, you know, would be good for him. Uh, maybe his dad will be in the stands watching him do awesome. And uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll just be icing on the cake as White Sox mm -hmm. fans this week, uh, this weekend, I should say. So I, I know that we sound really, frustrated and aggravated right now with this white Sox team and finishing up in this particular point for this episode there's a there's a lot of people on twitter that are that are wishing the end and can't wait to look forward to the off season i think the off season is just going to be as rocky for white Sox fans as the regular season has been in 2022 Again, the question remains, who is running this Chicago White Sox franchise? I don't think is magically going to get answered this offseason. Mm -hmm. We may get more questions than answers this upcoming offseason, especially if Tony La Russa decides that he's going to come back and honor his, his contract and plan on being the manager for the 2023 Chicago White Sox. And there's nothing that Ken Williams or Rick Hahn could do about it because Jerry Reinsdorf still making that decision. So I, I'm not really looking forward to the off season and out of the, you know, it's choosing between the two lesser evils, watching this team make the postseason and get their butts kicked in the first round or watch them just crash land in disastrous fashion. And they finish below 500 thinking that's going to spark wide ranging changes. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the way people think it's going to go down where people are going to get fired because people don't get fired with the white Sox. Often mm -hmm. the deck chairs of the Titanic get shuffled around. It could be interesting, <laughs> but we yeah. still may be asking the question going into November when free agents are signing after the world series and wondering why the white Sox are not more active because we might be asking for a while who is running the Chicago white Sox and not having any certainty to answer that question. Yeah. With the white Sox, old soldiers don't die. They get kicked upstairs. So that's really the default <laughs> assumption you have to operate under. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Like I understand the sentiment, and, you know, I, well, I understand it for a few different reasons. One is that like, just people don't want to hurt anymore. Like they just want to know that this team, they, I think you know, everybody would like the, um, solace of knowing like a seven game losing streak that just buries them. Like, fine. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I can move on with my, uh, summer or the, you know, what's left of it. And I get that. And there is some satisfaction there. Please continue to support socks machine. If you, if you go that route, but, uh, I, I think, you know, there is the gamble of that, like hoping it's going to get better and not knowing if it's going to be the case. Like imagine, yeah. And, and I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to imagine it, but just like there is a real chance that like, yeah, just pride gets in the way and Tony La Russa doesn't want to go anywhere and no White Sox are speaking up. Like you said last year, I don't want to come back to a clubhouse that doesn't want me. And 
it struck me as like fishing for compliments. Like, you know, just the, uh, you know, I, I want to hear nice things about me. Like, you know, it's, it's better, you know, to have other people saying it. Uh, so I don't have to. And, you know, Jose Abreu will never say a bad word about anybody who's uh, above him on the uh, organizational chart. Like he still heaps praise on Robin Ventura and everybody knows Robin Ventura uh, shouldn't have been there. That's just how he's, um, you know, how he's wired. And, you know, it served him well. But um, if if he's still around, like, and, and if he's not allowed to go anywhere, and if he's praising Larusa because Larusa is still theoretically the manager, like, does that just preserve everybody in Amber for another year? And between that and the lack of trade value that like Mancata, you know, doesn't have and Grandal doesn't have, like, it's just it feels like very, you know, like you said, a realistic possibility that they, they just run most of it back and hope for something different just because they're frozen they don't have the initiative from the front office they don't have the leeway they don't have the payroll and they don't have the imagination it's just it's just all conspiring against them now if like we knew that jerry reinsdorf was like say ron fowler in san diego or like somebody who was impulsive and somebody who like changes directions often then i could get it like yeah embarrass them like uh you know have them do a wholesale uh front office change and let's see what kind of rises from the ashes but in this case like uh what's underneath the ashes could just be more ashes. Like <laughs> that's really what, you know, like ruins. Oh yeah. It burned down. Well, you made this point and it sounds like it's true. Speaking to some of the sources I have within the white Sox, that Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to learn new faces. Yeah. No that, new friends. You know, he's 86 years old. He turns 87 in February. 2023 could be the last ride for him. We already have two teams in Major League Baseball up for sale. One is a surprise with Artie Moreno deciding to throw it in and now willing to sell the Los Angeles Angels. And you still have the the sale, the process going to Washington Nationals. It's going to take one to two years to sell the Chicago White Sox. So if the end of the road is coming in that Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to no longer be the chairman and there's no clear family hair apparent within the Reinstor family to take over the White Sox, that that process could be starting soon, or maybe it already has. And it's just going a lot quieter than what we are hearing out of Anaheim and in Washington, DC. And what we heard about the New York Mets, that was a very public discussion on how that sale was going for the New York Mets. Out of the, yeah, I just don't, if you're hoping for the off season, thinking things are going to be drastically changed right now, my gut and the things that I'm hearing suggest that it's not going to be that drastic. Will Rick Hahn still have the same role and responsibilities that he currently has? Maybe not. Is he still going to be part of the organization? Sure. He'll be the special advisor to someone. Because <laughs> no yeah. one ever gets fired from the Chicago White Sox. But that's where we are, folks. It's the end of August, and the White Sox are coming home for a nine-game homestand. I did even mention that home attendance is already declining compared to July of 2021 and August of 2021. So let's see how the, the home crowds are and let's hope that the white Sox on the field play a lot better baseball to keep our attention because the NFL season is quickly arriving. And if the white Sox do, if they do stumble and they lose seven straight games, as you mentioned, Jim, then yeah, a lot of folks in Chicago to tune out from baseball because the Cubs are not making the postseason and everyone's going to be focusing on what's going on with the Chicago Bears until the Chicago Bulls tip off in October. But we really do appreciate everyone that jumped in this live stream. There's a lot more people than I was expecting on a very late Thursday night. It is a school night. Uh, as school has started in the Chicagoland area. So thank you to all those that watched the live stream on youtube.com slash socks machine for our socks machine live streams. And if you don't get a chance to watch us on the live stream, you can always listen to the audio version of the socks machine podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify, 
and Apple Music. And if you just discovered Socks Machine or you have been a longtime lurker of Socks Machine, you can help support us over at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we add new Socks Machine swag, they're the first ones to get it. Monthly plans start at $2, so you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Before you wrap up, can I just you go back to the uh, Patreon tiers real quick? I just want to... Uh issue a special shout out to ryan who just saw you know, like after a gutting loss like this after you know all the uh yeah so many people just want to be done with it get an email notification new patron at the 10 war level ryan <laughs> in the wake of such a disastrous game like maybe you're drunk <laughs> maybe you're, <laughs> uh you know maybe just like yeah yeah just your you know you're you're coping but either way uh you know like yeah i tweeted i I love all our patreon supporters equally but i'm especially i have a soft spot in my heart for the people who just when given the option of walking away and shedding all their connections and uh resources and uh headspace to the white Sox and, and having every reason to do so to support us in that time is really really touching and really appreciated Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it. And that will do it for this episode of Socks Machine Live. Thank you for watching and listening. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. <laughs>